Hey, what's up? Oh, man, it's good to be back. It's been a minute. Uh, greetings from sunny New Orleans. Wow, it is sunny. New Orleans. The Crescent City. Uh, some call it the, the Montreal of the South. Do they? I do. You do? Why not? It's sort of a, I mean, it's French. It is French. So it's why French wouldn't vibes. I? Yeah, you can do whatever. I mean, if there's how anything many, about how New many, Orleans, like, you can do whatever you want. French cities are there in North America? Not many. Not many. It's this in Montreal. But oh, I thought for a second I, was, I thought you said America. And I was like Montreal's not in America. North you American, said North America. Yes, North uh, American scum. North American scum. Montreal, New Orleans. Those are the French ones. So, in in that way, I call New Orleans the Montreal of the South. Well, like Montreal, New Orleans is a clown city. It is a clown city, full of clowns. Yes, and I love. Mm-hmm. I live. We're having a great time. <laughs> I'm having the best time. Sorry if I sound um, a little hoarse. Diminished. I have to do karaoke wherever I go. Yes. It's like, it's a dog pissing, basically. <laughs> I have to leave my vocal mark on every town I visit. All right. Well, we're on a bit of a timeline because we have to go get oysters immediately. <laughs> oh Imminently. Sorry. Yes. So let's uh, dive right in. Let's kill a dog. Um, the killing of a sacred dog. The, ceiling, the killing of a sacred dog. Here we go. So right now... uh. Lens, uh, there's a dog who's coming over to Lens in a sort of yeah, neutrally. Bruce Green is is observing Lens's dog yeah. dog behavior. Neutrally cautious but attentive way. Green has no clue what kind of dog it is, but it's big. Green can remember not the sight, but the two very different sounds of the footfalls of his pop, the late Mister Green pacing the Waltham living room, the crinkle of the paper bag around the tall boy in his hand. It's well after twenty two forty five hours. The dog's leash slides, hissing to the end of the day glow line and stops the dog a couple paces from the inside of the gate where Lens is standing, inclined in the slight forward way of somebody who's talking baby talk to a dog. Green can see that Lens has a slightly gnawed square of Don G's hard old meatloaf out in front of him, holding it toward the straining dog. Lens has the blankly intent look of a short-haired man man with a Geiger counter. <laughs> Do you, what, what is a Geiger counter? It's the thing that... Um... It, you, it, you've seen it in a million movies that the thing that cha- tracks radiation, you know, the thing that goes like, okay, when, uh, I see, yeah, you know, the hideous, compelling, hideously compelling ho starts again with the total abruptness that makes CDs so creepy. Green's got one finger in one ear, shifting around slightly to keep Lens's lamp shadow from blocking the view. The music balloons and booms. The Nucks have turned it way up for My Lovely Lana Una Luau Lady, a song that's always made Green want to put his head through a window. Part of the instrumental sounds like a harp on acid. The hollow log percussives are like a heart in your extremist type terror. Green fancies he can see windows in the houses opposite vibrate from the horrific vibration. Green's having way more than one thought PM now. The squeak of the gerbil wheel starting to crank deep inside. (laughs) The undulating shiver is a slack steel guitar that fills little Brucey's head with white sand and undulating tummies and heads that resemble New Year's subsidized parade balloons. Huge, soft, shiny, baggy, wrinkled, grinning heads nodding and bobbing as they slowly inflate to the shape of a giant head tilted forward, straining at the ropes they're pulled by. Green hasn't watched a New Year's parade since the year of the Tuck's medicated pads, which had been obscene. (laughs) Green's close enough to see that the whole... Oh, just uh, I'm imagining what the obs- obscenity of the uh, tux medicated pad. Yeah. Uh, New Year's parade might have been like. Yeah, you don't you don't want to be wearing a tux medicated pad, I would assume. 
Um, Green's close enough to see that the Hawaiianized Nuck House is 412 West Brainerd. Blue-collar type cars and 4x4s and vans are all up and down the street, packed in a somehow partyish attitude, as in parked in a hurry, some of them with Canadian lettering on the plates. Flirtily stickers and slogans in Canadian on some of the windows also. An old Montego cammed out into a slingshot dragster is parked square in front of 412 in a sort of menacing way, with two wheels up on the curb and a circle of flowers hung jauntily over the antenna and the ellipses of dull fade in the paint job of the hood that show the engine's been bored out and the hood gets real hot. And Lens has gotten down on one knee and breaks off uh, some of the meatloaf and tosses it underhand to the ground inside the leash's range. The dog goes over and lowers its head to the meat. The distinctive sound of Gately's meatloaf getting chewed, <laughs> plus the ghastly music's zithery, warbling roar. Uh, second use of the word zither in uh, in this book. Uh, re- remember uh, when? When else do they talk about zithers? When um, Orin is talking about uh, going attending the Cardinals game in a cardinal uh fl- flying onto the field yeah. and they're talking about the saints have uh halos and sometimes a zither okay <laughs> sorry that was literally like over a year ago yes absolutely lens now rises and his movements in the yard have a melting and wraith-like quality in the different shades of shadow the lit window farthest from the limp flag has solid swarthy guys in beards and loud shirts passing back and forth snapping their fingers under their elbows with flower-strewn females in tow Many of the heads are thrown back and attached to Molson bottles. Green's jacket creaks as he tries to breathe. The snake had leapt from the can with a sound like sprung. His aunt at the Winchester breakfast nook in dazzling winter dawnlight quietly doing a word search puzzle. (laughs) Two dormer windows are half blocked by the throbbing rectangles of the JBLs. Green's the type that can recognize a JBL speaker and Molson green bottle from way far away. (laughs) A developed thought coheres. Ho's voice has the quality of a type of ointment. (laughs) Any displaced and shaggy knuckhead in these windows, chancing to look out into the yard now, would be able to probably see Lens depositing another chunk of meat in front of the pet and removing something from up near his shoulder under his topcoat as he's melting stealthily all the way around behind the dog to sort of straddle the big dog from the rear, easing the last of the loaf down in front of the dog the big dog hunched, the crunch of Don's cornflake topping, and the uh, cornflake meatloaf. You, what's wrong with a cornflake topping? I, Crunchy. I, I just don't, texture. I just don't imagine it on a meatloaf. I'm sure it doesn't improve it much. No. Uh, cornflake topping and the goopy sound of a dog eating institutional meat. The arm comes out from under the coat and goes up with something that looks like it would glitter if the window's yard light reached far enough. Bruce Green keeps trying to wave his breath out of the way. Lens's fine coat billows around the dog's flanks as Lens braces and leans and gathers the hunched thing's scruff in one hand and straightens up with a mighty grunting hoist that brings the animal up onto its hind legs as its front legs dig frantically at empty air. And the dog's whine brings a lay and flannel shape to the lit space above one speaker overhead. Green doesn't even think of calling out from his shadowed spot. And the moment hangs there, with the dog upright and lens behind it, bringing the upraised hand down in front and hard across the dog's throat. There's a lightless arc from the spot lens's hand crossed. The arc splatters the gate and the sidewalk outside it. The music balloons without cease, but Green hears lens say what sounds like, how dare you, <laughs> with great emphasis as he drops the dog forward onto the yard. God, it's been so long. 
since what does he say? There, there. you go. There. there. Says there. Uh, as there's a high pitched male sound from the form at the window, and the dog goes down and hits the ground on its side with the meaty crunch of a 32 kilo bag of party sized cubelets, all four legs dog paddling uselessly, the dark surface of the lawn blackening in a pulsing curve before its jaws that open and close. Green has moved unthinking out of the van shadow toward Lens and now thinks and stops between two trees by the street in front of 416, wanting to call to Lens and feeling the strangled aphasia people feel in bad dreams, and so just stands there between the tree trunks with a finger in one ear, looking. The way Lens stands over the hull of the big dog is like you stand over a punished child at full height and radiating authority, and the moment hangs there distended like that until there's the shriek of long-shut windows opening against the hoe, and the dire sound of numerous high-tempo loggers' boots rushing downstairs inside 412. The creepily friendly bachelor that had lived next to his aunt had had two big groomed dogs, and when Bruce passed the house, the dog's toenails would scrabble on the wood of the front porch and run with their tails up to the anodized fence as Bruce came by and jump up and like sort of play the metal fence with their paws, excited to see him, to just like set eyes on him. Lenz's arm with the knife is up again and ungleaming in the streetlight's light as Lenz uses his other hand on the top of the fence to vault the fence sideways and tear ass uphill up Brainerd Road in the southwest direction of Enfield, his loafers making a quality sound on the pavement <laughs> and his open coat filling like a sail. Green retreats to behind one of the trees as beefy flannel forms with lays shedding petals, their speech grunty foreign and unmistakably Canadian, a couple with ukuleles, spill out like ants over the sagging porch and into the yard, mill and jabber, a couple kneel by the form of the former dog. A bearded guy so huge a Hawaiian shirt looks tight on him has picked up the meatloaf's baggy. Another guy without very much hair picks what looks like a white caterpillar out of the dark grass and holds it up delicately between his thumb and finger, looking at it. Yet another huge guy in suspenders. White caterpillar. You, do you does remember he, what kind of disguise Lens wears? Yeah, does he wear like fake eyebrows? He wears like a, a white, like he puts like a powdered white wig and fake eyebrows and mustache. He's left some forensic evidence. Yes. Yet another huge guy in suspenders. I love these cliched uh, descriptions of what yeah. uh, uh, French Canadians Yeah, they're, are they're all the, the brawny man. Yeah. Drops his beer and picks up the limp dog and it lies across his arms on its back with its head way back like a swooned girl dripping and with one leg still going and the guy is either screaming or singing the original massive knuck with the baggie clutches his head to signal agitation as he and two other knucks run heavily to the slingshot montego a first floor light in the house across brainerd lights up and backlights a figure in a sort of suit and metal wheelchair sitting right up next to the window in the sideways way of wheelchairs that want to get right up next to something scanning the street and knucks warmed yard Nice. The Hawaiian music has apparently stopped, but not abruptly. It's not like somebody took it off in the middle. Green has retreated to behind a tree, which he sort of one-arm hugs. A thick girl in a horrible grass skirt is saying Dieu several times. <laughs> spelled uh, D-Y-U. <laughs> there are obscenities and heavily accented stock, phrase stock phrases like stop and there he goes with pointing. Several guys are running up the sidewalk after lens, but they're in boots and lends his way ahead and now disappears as he cuts like a tailback left and disappears down either an alley or a serious driveway, though you can still hear his fine shoes. 
One of the guys actually shakes his fist as he gives chase. <laughs> the Montego with the twin cam reveals muffler problems and clunks down off the curb and lays two parentheses as it 180s professionally around in the middle of the street. Two parentheses. That's a very good description. Uh, in the street, uh, middle of the street, and peels out up and lends this direction. A very low and fast and no shit car. Its antenna's gay lay, tugged by speed into a strained ellipse and leaving a wake of white petals that take forever to stop falling. Green thinks his finger might be frozen to his ears inside. <laughs> Nobody seems to be gesticulating about anything about maybe an accomplice. There's no evidence they're looking around for any other unwittingly guilty accessory type party. <laughs> Another wheelchaired form has appeared just behind and to the right of the first seated backlit form across the street, and they're both in a position to see Green up against the tree with his hand to his ear, so it looks like he's maybe receiving communiques from some type of earpiece. <laughs> the Nux are still milling around the yard in a way that's indescribably foreign as the one Nux staggers in circles under the weight of the expired dog saying something to the sky. Green is getting to know this one tree very well, spread out against its lee side and breathing into the bark of the tree so his exhaled breath won't plume out from behind the tree and be seen as an accomplice's breath, potentially. End of end of passage. End of passage. I mean, that's only thirteen minutes worth of reading. There's more. Well, there's there's more book. There's more book. I Let's mean, should get, we keep going for let's today? Let's keep going. Okay, great. Mario and Condenza's nineteenth birthday will be Wednesday, twenty fifth November, the day before Thanksgiving. I think somebody messaged me and said that this upcoming passage is one of their favorite passages okay. in the book. His insomnia worsens as Madame Psychosis's hiatus enters its third week. And W-Y-Y-Y tries bringing back poor misdiagnosis again. <laughs> who started in on a pig Latin reading of the revelation of John that makes you so embarrassed for her, it's uncomfortable. For a couple nights in the HMH living room, he tries falling asleep to W-O-D-S, an AM fringe outfit that plays narcotizing orchestral arrangements of old Carpenter's songs. <laughs> it makes things worse. It's weird to feel like you miss some someone you're not even sure you know. <laughs> I love that. Uh... He gets a parasocial relationship much. Yeah, yes, exactly. Madam Psychosis is a podcaster. He's a podcaster. That's why I respect her. He gets a serious burn on his pelvis, leaning against a hot steel stove, talking to Mrs. Clark. His hip is swaddled in bandages under Orin's old corduroys, and there's a sucking sound of salve when he walks late at night, unable to sleep. The birth-related disability that wasn't even definitively diagnosed until Mario was six and had let Orin tattoo his shoulder with a red coil of an immersion heater is called familial dis uh, dysautonomia, a neurological deficit whereby he can't feel physical pain very well. A lot of the ETAs kid him about they should have such problems, <laughs> and even Hal sometimes felt a twinge of envy about it. But the defect is a serious hassle and actually very dangerous. See, for instance, the burnt pelvis, which wasn't even discovered until Mrs. Clark thought she smelled her eggplant overcooking. Oh, God. Blurg. <laughs> At HMH, he lies on the air mattress in a tight down bag on the edge of the violet plant light with the wind waddle, rattling the big east window, listening to buttery violins and what sounds like a zither. Jesus. <laughs> zither chord. My man, my man loves zithers. There's sometimes a scream upstairs, shrill and drawn out, from where CT's and the mom's rooms are. Mario listens closely for whether the sound ends up as Avril laughing or Avril screaming. She gets night terrors, which are like nightmares, but worse and which affect, afflict small children and apparently also adults who eat the day's biggest meal right before bed. <laughs> His nighttime prayers take almost an hour, 
and sometimes more and are not a chore. He doesn't kneel. It's more like a conversation. And he's not crazy. It's not like he hears anybody or anything conversing back with him. Hell's established. Hal had asked him when he'll start coming back to their room to sleep, which made Mario feel good. He keeps trying to imagine Madame Psychosis, whom he imagines as being very tall, lying in an XL beach chair on a beach, smiling and not saying anything for days, resting, but it doesn't work very well. He can't tell if Hal is sad. He's having a harder and harder time reading Hal's states of mind or whether he's in good spirits. This worries him. He used to be able to sort of pre-verbally know in his stomach generally where Hal was and what he was doing, even if Hal was far away and playing, or if Mario was away and now he can't anymore. Feel it. This worries him and feels like when you've lost something important in a dream, you can't even remember what it was, but it's important. Mario loves Hal so so much it makes his heart beat hard. Oh. He doesn't have to wonder if the difference now is him or his brother because Mario never changes. He hadn't told the moms he was going to walk around after he left her office after their interface. Avril usually tries in a non-intrusive way to discourage Mario from taking walks at night because he doesn't see well at night and the areas around the ETA hill are not the best neighborhood and there's no skirting the fact that Mario would be easy prey for just about anybody physically. And the one perk of familial dysautonomia is relative physical fearlessness, which takes us to end note 42, 242. This is one reason why he consents to be hung way out into space from Schitt's transom for filming all court play, <laughs> held only by some pro-rector with a firm grip on the back of his locks vest, which the players <laughs> looking up at Mario's forward ski jump posture off the crow's nest find incredibly terrifying and audacious and ballsy. And Avril won't even let leave HMH doing all, during all court filmings. <laughs> Back to the text. Mario keeps to a pretty limited area during insomniacal, in, in, insomniacal strolls. <laughs> insomniacal. Out of deference to Avril's worry, which takes us to note 243. This, though, Avril's never come right out and articulated her worry about his PM safety to Mario, not wanting to seem as though she's making a special issue of his deficits and vulnerability, or to seem inconsistent when she lets Hal go off nightly wherever he likes, or just basically in any way to inhibit Mario's sense of autonomy and freedom by causing him to worry about her worrying, which he does rather a lot worry about Avril's worrying about him, if that makes sense. <laughs> Back to the text. He'll sometimes walk around the grounds of the Enfield Marine PHH at the bottom of the hill's east side because they're pretty much enclosed, the grounds are, and he knows a couple of the EM security officers from when his father got them to portray Boston police in his whimsical dial C for concupiscence. <laughs> I forget the plot of that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we would have to consult the, the, uh, the filmography. And he likes the EM grounds at night because the different brick houses window light is yellow lamplight. Takes us to, to end note 244. Mario, like his maternal uncle Charles Tavis, has a dislike of fluorescent lighting. Uh, back to the text. Yellow lamplight and he can see people on the ground floors altogether playing cards or talking or watching TP. He also likes whitewashed brick, regardless of its state of upkeep. And a lot of the people in the different brick houses are damaged or askew and lean hard to one side or are twisted into themselves through the windows. And he can feel his heart going out into the world through them, which is good for insomnia. A woman's voice calling for help without any real urgency. You remember this this woman in the complex who just screams for help? No. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. Uh, why would you? <laughs> uh not like the screams that signify the mom's laughing or screaming at night. Sounds from a darkened upper window. And across the little street that's crammed with cars, everyone has to move at O-O-O-O-H, is Edit's house, 
where the headmistress has a disability and had had a wheelchair ramp installed and has twice invited Mario in during the day for a caffeine-free millennial fizzy. And Mario likes the place. It's crowded and noisy, and none of the furniture has protective plastic wrap, but nobody notices anybody else or comments on a disability, and the headmistress is kind to the people, and the people cry in front of each other. The inside of it smells like an ashtray, but Mario's <laughs> felt good both times in Edit's house because it's very real. People are crying and making noise and getting less unhappy. I'm sorry. Uh, And once he heard somebody say God with a straight face and nobody looked at them or looked down or smiled in any sort of way where you could tell they were worried inside. Sorry, I'm a mess. (laughs) People from the public can't be in there after 2300, though, because they have a curfew. So Mario just totters past on the broken sidewalk and looks in the ground windows at all the different people. Every window is lit up with light and some are slid partly open. And there is the noise of being outside a house full of people. From one of the upstairs windows facing the street comes a voice going, give it here, give it here. Somebody is crying and somebody else is either laughing or coughing very hard. An irritable man's voice from a kitchen window at the sides says says something to somebody else that just said something like, so get dentures, followed by curse words. (laughs) Another upstairs window over at the side by the wheelchair ramp and the kitchen window where the ground is soft enough to take the stress of a police lock and lead block nicely. The upper window has a billowing lengthwise flag for a curtain and an old bumper sticker on the glass half scraped off so it says one day uh, in cursive. (laughs) And Mario is arrested by the quiet but unmistakable sound of a recording of a broadcast of 60 Minutes More or Less with Madame Psychosis, which Mario has never taped a show of because he feels it wouldn't be right for him, but is strangely thrilled to hear someone in edits thinking enough to tape and replay. It's not a recording. I'm I'm gathering that. (laughs) It's a live podcast. I'm putting this together. What's coming from behind the open window with a billowing flag for a curtain is one of the old ones. From the year of the Wonder Chicken, Madame's inaugural year, when she'd sometimes talk all hour and had an accent. A hard east wind blows Mario's thin hair straight back off his head. His standing angle is 50 degrees. (laughs) A female girl in a little fur coat and uncomfortable-looking blue jeans and tall shoes clicks past on the sidewalk and goes up the ramp into Ennett's back door without indicating she saw somebody with a really big head standing braced by (laughs) a police lock on the lawn outside the kitchen window. The lady had on so much makeup she looked unwell, but the wake of her passage smells very good. For some reason, Mario felt like the person behind the flag in the window was also a female. Mario thinks it might not be out of the question that she might lend tapes to a fellow listener if he could ask. He usually checks etiquette questions with Hal, who is incredibly knowledgeable and smart. When he thinks of Hal, his heart beats and his forehead's thick skin becomes wrinkled. How will also know the term for private tapes made of broadcast things on the air. Perhaps this lady owns multiple tapes. This one is from 60 Minutes plus or minus his first year when Madame still had a slight accent and often spoke on the show as if she were talking exclusively to one person or character was very important to her. The moms revealed that if you're not crazy, then speaking to someone who isn't there is termed apostrophe and is valid art. <laughs> Love apostrophe. Mario had fallen in love with the first Madame Psychosis programs because he felt like he was listening to someone sad read out loud from yellow letters she'd taken out of a shoebox on a rainy PM. (laughs) Stuff about heartbreak and people you loved dying and U.S. woe. Stuff that was real. It is is increasingly hard to find valid art that is is about stuff that is real in this way. (laughs) Why am I crying? Uh, Is is it the sweet innocence of... 
and thoughtfulness of you want to make something weird, real. You want to make a Yaz record. <laughs> yeah, he, it's it's hard to read something real. He's he's trying to create the new sincerity here. <laughs> the older Mario gets, the more he confused he gets about the fact that everyone at ETA over the age of about Kent Blot finds stuff that's really real uncomfortable, and they get embarrassed. It's like there's some rule that real stuff can only get mentioned if everybody rolls their eyes or laughs in a way that isn't happy. The worst feeling thing that happened today was at lunch when M- Michael Pemulus told Mario he had an idea for setting up a dial-a-prayer telephone service for atheists in which the atheist dials a number and the line just rings and rings and no one answers. <laughs> it, Owned. it was a joke and a good one and Mario got it. What was unpleasant was that Mario was the only one at the big table whose laugh was a happy laugh. Everyone else sort of looked down like they were laughing at somebody with a disability. The whole issue was far above Mario's head, and he was unable to understand Lyle's replies when he tried to bring the confusion up. And Hal was, for once, no help, because Hal seemed even more uncomfortable and embarrassed than the fellows at lunch. And when Mario brought up real stuff, Hal called him boo-boo and acted like he'd wet himself, and Hal was going to be very patient about helping him change. A lot of people are appearing out of the dark and walking by to go in for the curfew. They all seem afraid and scowl to pretend they're not shy. The men have their hands in their coat pockets and the females have their hands at their coats' throats, keeping them shut. One young person Mario's never seen sees him struggling with the police lock and helps him disengage the bar and get the lead block into his backpack. Just that little bit of help that makes the difference. Aww. Mario is suddenly so sleepy he's not sure he can get up the hill to go home. The musics that played at the beginning of Madame Psychosis's career are the exact same that played to the end what sounds so unacceptable without her there. Mario's forward list is perfect for walking up hills, however. <laughs> His pelvis's salve makes a sound but doesn't hurt. In the big protruding window of Ennett House's headmistress's office that the window overlooks the avenue and the train tracks and the Ings clean father and son grocery where they give Mario yellow tea in the a.m. when he comes by when it's cold. The last thing Mario can see before the hillside's trees close behind him and reduce the Ennett House to shattered yellow lighting is a wide, square-headed boy bent over something he's writing at the headmistress's black desk, licking a pencil end and hunched all uncomfortably with one arm curled around what he's writing in, like a slow boy over a class theme at Ringe and Latin Special. Good place to call it? A good place to stop. I'm a, I'm a mess. I'm a leaking horse mess. <laughs> uh first mario passage where you hear what he's thinking is that is that true he like there was a conversation with him and hal but that was like but that's dialogue that's dialogue from like an outside perspective this is the the first time you get mario interiority mario interiority he's very he's very sweet (laughs) he doesn't like (sighs) just the way people treat him versus the way he actually is Mm -hmm. And he prays for an hour every day. <laughs> oh my God, that's so beautiful. That's a good. I don't. I don't know who who said that. That was one of their favorite passages. But that's a good. That's a good one to pick. Yeah, uh, either somebody I met at one of the shows or somebody, um, DM me or something. Somebody <laughs> I was talking to. But anyway, that is a, that is a good one to pick. Oh man. Uh. So anti irony. And anti-irony. I, I Wait, did, have we talked about this? Is is David Foster Wallace new sincerity? Yeah. So, well, so other people have basically called him such. Yes. Yeah. I don't understand new sincerity. I tried to read a... This was a long time ago at this point, Ooh, but I tried sincerity. to read... Bring back old sincerity. <laughs> yeah. What's the original sincerity? Yeah. 
You bring uh, back original flavor sincerity. It's like the new Coke. Well, yeah. I um yeah, meet the meet the new sincerity, same as the old sincerity. Yeah. I mean, we're I feel like we're at a time when there's I don't know, there's there's more ironic stuff bubbling up. There's a lot of nihilism, I think. It's a kind of a like people are blackpilled. Yeah, but then there's also um the kind of like rigidly enforced positivity I'm thinking about toxic like, positivity toxic positivity I'm thinking of like the kind of Tumblr core aesthetic of like nothing can ever be negatively portrayed and every protagonist has to be uh you know a positive positive representation and yeah like um it's your job to like keep a good face on for other people because yeah. if not you're like harshing their vibe yeah. man it's it's a weird time. <laughs> yes, and that, I wouldn't call that sincerity. In fact, you know, one of the be- best essays of uh, I don't know, maybe even the 2010s. Remember that classic? Who did the the essay on Smarm? Oh, uh, that was in Gawker. Yeah. Was that Skoka? I think Rich? it was Skoka. Yeah, Skoka is how you pronounce it. Yeah, that was a good one. That that uh, snark versus smart. Yeah, that really encapsulated a lot of the prevailing attitudes of discourse. Uh, and I think that that is like a kind of discussion around like the 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 valence of sincerity. Yeah. Um, that is necessary because smarm is like hollow sincerity, you know. Yeah, and it's self-serving, and it's about the image of sincerity, yeah. about the maintenance of yeah. uh, like a f- maybe a fake state of peace mm-hmm. when actually things might be a little more discordant and you need to lean into that rather than just being like, why can't we all just get along? Let people enjoy things. Let people enjoy things. Uh, that's, it's funny about that atheism, uh, joke. Cause that is a funny joke. Yeah. And so the, uh, I guess what I'm gathering is like everybody at the table kind of chuckled at it, but and he, le- he really he, like, thought laughed. it was funny. Uh, it was a and, throwaway joke for Pemulus. And the idea is is that even if you think something is funny, you can't give it too much credence or else it'll show that you have some kind of like vulnerability in actually caring about something. Which I mean, classic at, teenage it, boys which, shit. Yeah, ETA, especially like at this fucking insane tennis school where yeah. everybody is, their their minds and their bodies are being pushed to the brink. So yeah, the, the idea of, I just, I can't get over the idea of things that are real. Mm-hmm. Like, because this is, I mean, this is my dumb ass. Like, even last night talking to people, I'm like, why can't I just have a normal conversation? Why do I keep asking people about their parents? <laughs> why are we talking, like, why why am I grilling you about your family? But then we always end up having, like, interesting conversation. I'm like, because I want to talk about things that are real. I don't want to talk about a movie that I saw. Tell me about your mother. <laughs> That's you. That's you, dude. That's I'm a. You're, I'm go, a you're, go, you're going Freud mode. I'm go. I'm going full full psychoanalysis. It's not even psychoanalysis. I'm like I don't. I don't know what it. I'm like. I just. It's oh. What did you see that was on the Netflix the other day? Oh, I don't know this this TV show. I don't uh, care. That's not real. Um, <laughs> I fear that Bruce Green is going to get punished for uh for for Randy Lenz's crimes. It doesn't seem good that the like brawny party nucks didn't mm-hmm. see him but the wheelchair guys did yes so like the wheelchair guys live like across the street from the uh the i i was i was having a little difficulty with the yeah they're geography. across the street okay. from the they're party not house upstairs from the party which house. is the suggested uh, and the i'm not super deep deep on this part of the plot but my assumption is that at least this block is seems to be infiltrated by yeah. na- quebec nationalists of different flavors okay great um and I don't like they're not obviously the people who are partying are not the wheelchair assassins because they're not in wheelchairs, but they are 
proud uh, Quebecers of some sort. Yeah. I don't know what faction they are or if they're just vibing, <laughs> if they're just displaced from the concavity slash the convexity. Is this a, are we to assume that this is around the same time as the video store assassination? Yeah. I Like potentially even the same day or something? It could, yeah, it could be. Um, or like the day, the day after it's no, all, all you should know is that it's November year, the dependent alt undergarment, yeah. which I'd, I'd have to recheck my, um, my timing, but I think it's not that far apart. Things are, things are happening. Things are accelerating. The things are accelerating. Yeah. All the pieces are set up. Yeah. We haven't seen a uh, poor Tony in a while. Haven't seen poor Tony in a while. Yeah. Haven't, haven't seen a lot of guys. <laughs> yeah. In a haven't while. seen a lot of guys in a while. It's, it's kind of now in the center to like focus on these like two or three main arcs. I mean, once, lens is is uh introduced it's it's very focused on him yeah the the thing i appreciate about that scene is that we <laughs> new, know new he guy kills, just dropped <laughs> we we know randy lens is an animal killer we are familiar with it it has been described kind of in like a almost like a joking way like yeah. a, of how unbelievably ridiculous it is yeah but then like the finally showing like a murder scene in the hanging moment yeah. where it's described in such lingering detail from somebody else's perspective from someone else's perspective and you see how horrible like it, is. it is yeah and bruce remembers his, seeing dogs that are happy just happy dogs the, the nature of a dog is that it's pretty much happy to see you yeah so it's it's tragic yes well uh who knows maybe these uh these uh brawny men and their uh their souped up uh hot rod will will track him down well 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 if it isn't the consequences of my, of my own actions yes yeah. we'll 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 see where uh where randy lenses a scumbaggery gets him but my guess knowing the morality at play in this book uh the, either he gets some co- consequence that is completely unrelated to his actual actions <laughs> uh or uh you know he gets away scot free, and Bruce and, and poor Bruce Green gets uh gets blamed for this dog murder. We we will see. Uh, murder do you, she. Do you remember where this goes? Uh, I do. Okay. Yes. Uh, su- suffice it to say that this dog murder le- leads up into the the action sequence that I keep talking about the, that yeah. we will get to in That's... I don't know three or four months. <laughs> three or four months or we'll, three or four weeks. We'll be we'll we're back on our before we'll be the back end of the on year. our bullshit. Yes. Uh, sorry for the disruption in the scheduling, but now uh, tour is over as of this weekend. Chris had to go produce a bunch of uh, great great live podcasts. Uh, thank you to all everyone who uh, came out to the live shows and talked to me at the shows. And said that you were a fan of Infinite Cast. Um, there were literally dozens of you. Literally dozens. Well, maybe not even dozen. Maybe like around a dozen. Swag. There was literally dozen of you. <laughs> uh, and I appreciate it. Um, I'm glad that this uh, this stupid little show can be entertaining for people. I like seeing the people who, who for whatever reason, this is the show that seems to get people uh, to to tell us what they are doing when they're listening <laughs> a lot of people are like yeah this is great for when i'm cleaning my house on a sunday <laughs> afternoon <laughs> I, li- I live yeah i love that so sorry i sound awful i i hope this isn't annoying to be all f- froggy and phlegmy uh god bless molly uh, who got to new orleans to meet up with us for the sh- for the end of the show immediately got a terrible cold <laughs> like bedridden for a day rallied to make it out to the show by the next day was more or less fine and then we stayed up until like three doing karaoke last night and yeah. now uh she's um 
party she's don't trashed again. party don't start till I walk in the door. Mm-hmm. I, I I got I am fighting for my right to party. You you are indeed fighting for your right. I to literally party. might die in it. Not not because of partying, but I'm like I literally might die at any time. So yeah. you might as well have fun. Speaking of, <laughs> we got to go get oysters. Okay, with Matt, Matt neighbor. All right, go go and find something real today. Yes, go and find something real. Yeah. Uh, ob- observe its beauty and embrace it with sincerity. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye.